Tom's not very well this week, everyone. Yeah, I might intersperse what's been discussed with the occasional cough or, or whinge. I tend to just moan occasionally when I'm not feeling too well. Just like You do Ugh. a little bit. I'm not going to say you've got man flu. Mm. But if your flu was any more manly, you'd literally be crying right now. It's just when I move. It just, I'll just go... Ugh. That's all. Just for the movie. I, I do like that, but it's mode. just because I'm getting old. <laughs> yeah, when you, swing, when you get your legs out of the car. Ooh. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Hello to all of our listeners, old and new. We're thrilled to have you with us for That Was Genius, a weekly podcast in which me, Sam, in good old Blighty, and you introduce yourself. Tom. In New Zealand. Discuss. <laughs> Seamless. <laughs> discuss historical stories on a topic each week. Welcome, Tom, to That Was Genius. Bugger off, Sam, you big bugger and bugger. Oh, all right, fine. End of the podcast, quick episode. <laughs> well, Bye, no. everyone. We'll see you next week. If you have enjoyed this, please do get in touch with us on social media. No, Sam, actually, I was actually just playing with you because my topic this week is the word bugger, see? So I just thought I'd, you know, toy with you a little bit. A bit of, you know, podcast banter. <laughs> uh, well, what's the theme, Tom? What is? We have to remind our audience what the theme is if we're going to talk about buggery this week. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Of course the theme is religion. Uh, yes, of course it is religion. I feel that yes. that needed possibly more context than you gave it in the first instance. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so the theme is actually religion, and how I get from religion to the word bugger will become clear in the next 45 to an hour of this podcast. Does it involve some priests in an all-boys school? Well, you would think, wouldn't you? Uh, no, no, it's more complicated than that, Sam, and I'll be honest with you, this is one of the most enjoyable episodes, not episode, well, I don't know, it could well be one of the most enjoyable episodes, time will tell. It's been one of the most enjoyable ones to research. I've thoroughly enjoyed this one. Whilst I, in a slightly fitting way, I like the fact that we both managed to get something dirty out of religion, I'm doing nudists, Tom. Excellent. Is there a religion for nudists? Well, this week, Tom, I am talking about Canada's Russian Christian vegan pacifist nudist terrorists. This is Canada's? Yes, this is Canada's Russian Christian vegan pacifist nudist terrorists is this a modern organization modernish modern mm. I, I, i'm fascinated already how did you come across these guys i i went down a click hole tom i'm not gonna lie <laughs> <laughs> looking at other stuff stumbled across these guys thought right i'm doing these guys and it turns out it's actually it's got it's a very funny title with a slightly tragic ending but it's i'm still really looking forward to talking about them it's slightly mad it's a great story i'm thrilled so you're talking about mad canadians and i'm going to be referring to neoplatonism i mean sam what divergent podcast this is going to be it is it's going to be a smorgasbord of historical facts figures entertainment and possibly penises and possibly penises excellent (laughs) And euphemisms galore. Pick up a pop to the penis. <laughs> Peter picked a pepper. Of... Anyway. <laughs> what are we tossing, flipping, chucking? Flipping heck, Tom. Uh, what are we going to flip this week? Nothing particularly interesting. I have a flyer for my next dental appointment. There we go. Very good. Thrilling. Would you like the side with a picture of a smiling lady's teeth? Trying to think up puns. Trying to think up dentistry puns. Right. Oh, hold on. Let's do that again. So you say what it is. <clears throat> I think I've got one. Okay. Uh, so this week, not particularly interesting. I am going to flip the appointment card for my next dental appointment. Oh, well, that means something go. nice to get our teeth into. <laughs> <laughs> Wahey! <laughs> <laughs> 
something uh, to chew on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very incisorish, incisive. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't know. Did it work? Probably not. No. I hope we get sponsored soon, and then we will be rolling in the molar. No, <laughs> also not work. I, yes, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> so, Tom, would you like the side that has a smiling picture of a lady with teeth? <laughs> it's unusual, isn't it, for dentist practices to have advertising with people with no teeth? Mis- <laughs> yes, miserable women with no teeth come to our dentist. <laughs> Although our American listeners might be surprised to know that as two Brits, we still possess most of our teeth. Yes, yes, we don't all look like David Bowie. David Bowie? David Bowie. No, we actually have very nice teeth. That didn't sound anything like David Bowie. Anyway. <laughs> no, it didn't. It sounded slightly like my stepdad. <laughs> yes, I like your stepdad sound like that, does he? So would you like the side with the smiling lady or the side with... Her ass. With some... With, <laughs> yes. Or turn it over and you've just got her a noose. <laughs> <laughs> Which, weirdly, also has teeth. <laughs> yeah, wow. The back of her head. That'd be good, wouldn't it? So would you like the side with the smiling lady or would you like the side with the slightly ejaculate-looking toothpaste? Mmm. Don't ever go into marketing, Sam. Um, <laughs> I will go for the smiling lady, please. Oh, I thought you would. You're always one for a smiling you, lady. Yeah, you, you can have... I just didn't fancy ejaculate toothpaste. Sorry, call me odd. <laughs> it's minty fresh, Tom. Right. Flipping. Uh, whoop. What happened there? Hold on a second. I have to stand up because it's ended up on the top of my bookcase. <laughs> Hold on. Ooh. Uh, I've won. Excellent. That was not particularly dramatic, was it? <laughs> Less than I'd hoped. I'm going to go first, Tom. You hit it. I'm going to go first. I'm going to tell you today about the Freedomites, who, as I've mentioned, were Canada's Russian, Christian, vegan, pacifist, nudist terrorists. And so much more. Uh, it's a slightly tragic story, this, but it's got a very funny lead-in. So I'm going to make you laugh, and then I'm going to make you cry, and then I'm going to hand over to you. An emotional rollercoaster, and I can just mop up what's left. You can mop up anything that's left after the vegan nudists have gone. <laughs> Hit me! I'm just, I'm just going to continue this with my catchphrase for this episode. Hit me! Okay. Bang. Twat. <laughs> there we go, I just slapped my microphone. Bang, twat, wallop. <laughs> what a video. So the Freedomites, Tom, were a group of Russian emigres who were essentially kicked out of the Russian Empire in the late 1800s. They were an ultra-Orthodox branch of a very strange religious sect known as the Dukbors, or the Dukobors, who kind of came about in about 1700 or slightly earlier in Russia. Now, the, the Dukobors are a folk Christian group of purists, or they're a Christian group of folk purists or a folk group of Christian purists, depending on how you want to look at it. Who <laughs> Someone's had great fun categorising them, haven't they? Indeed. They combined some of the more traditional Russian rural beliefs with a very unusual view of Christianity. Essentially, they rejected the Russian Orthodox Church because they didn't believe that priests were an accurate representation of God and his beliefs. In fact, they didn't even believe that the Bible itself could do God justice. So instead, the only way they could follow the path of righteousness was to be walking, talking embodiments of the whole of the Christian spirit. Okay. Uh, so it's essentially walking ambassadors of holiness, okay. which manifested itself in some pretty strange purist beliefs as time went on. They were quite often naked because they believed that skin was God's own clothing and that anything else was 
strictly speaking, unnecessary. I once tried to tell my boss that. <laughs> yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's, uh, some places, it goes down very well. Religious circles, no. absolutely fine. I know. In the cinema, absolutely. Not and for some reason, I can wear my speedos in the swimming pool, but a children's playground, completely different. It's just double standard. It is. Although, to be fair, top coat and tails, absolutely fine at a formal dinner, will probably get you kicked out of the swimming pool if you <laughs> dive in them. <laughs> the berry goggles on. <laughs> Harsh, but at least they treat everyone equally. I suppose, yeah. So these guys were, were nudists, believing that skin was God's own clothing, and were also largely vegetarian, since vegetables were considered the purest and most original food source. Most didn't even eat bread, thinking that it was over-processed. As time went on, they gave up their belief in material property, instead sharing the absolute essentials of what they needed to survive amongst themselves and farming collectively. So they were essentially... Are you describing crossfitters here? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? I hadn't thought of it like that, and you're completely right. Training without their clothes on, you know, being all wanky about eating root vegetables and being paleo. (laughs) Won't shut up about it. Absolutely. They are indeed, much like crossfitters, the walking, talking embodiments of Christ himself. (laughs) And everyone else thinks they're wankers. They're self-righteous wankers. Well, they're crossfitters. They were also kind of proto-Marxists, if you like. Believed in living collectively and farming collectively. Uh, By the late 1700s, the Russian government started to get a bit worried about these guys because here were people who rejected the church and the state as being unnecessary, which, oddly enough, doesn't go down well with governments, and were pretty ardent pacifists. They published a lot of anti-war pamphlets and a lot of anti-war propaganda. So the Russian government launched a concerted campaign of persecution against them. The church branded them heretics and started using the name uh, Dukabors, which they eventually took up themselves, as an insult, which means the wrestlers of the Holy Spirit. And they changed the meaning to mean wrestlers alongside the Holy Spirit. So kind of holy warriors. Wrestlers of the Holy Spirit. Yes, wrestlers. Very odd. I don't really know where that came from, because when you look at a nudist vegan, you don't typically Hulk think... Hulk Hogan. Wrestling. <laughs> yeah. No. Kind of slightly wiry, emaciated looking people uh, with their knackers out. Slightly wiry, emaciated looking knackers out. Yes. <laughs> Sun dried testicles swinging. <laughs> but, yeah, they'll be in the same aisle of the supermarket as your um, cum flavoured Colgate, won't they? <laughs> <laughs> Third arm and hammer. <laughs> oh, very good. I think very much. Ten Thank points. You very much. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, that's the name of the podcast right there. <laughs> so the state began to exile these guys, first off to Finland and then later to Georgia and the Ukrainian plains. The government also tried to forcibly conscript these guys into the army, leading many of them to, to flee into exile themselves. And by the 1840s, there were around 20,000 Dukabors, many of whom were starting to harden against the government and refusing to register their births, marriages and deaths. They were refusing to pay taxes. They were refusing to swear loyalty to the Tsar and generally being very annoying vegan communist nudie hippies. (laughs) Much like all vegan communist nudie hippies. Yeah, I've never met one I liked. (laughs) Most of those who were forcibly conscripted ended up ganging up together one night and burning all of their guns whilst singing hymns. So they were just generally being a pain in the arse, like all pacifists. Wankers. Yeah. Why can't they just like fight everyone. like everyone else, Tom, eh? 
With their bloody principle. I know, and they don't like hurting people. Get over yourselves. Have some fun. Torture someone. Cry. Yeah, why not? End someone's life. Go on, just a little bullet. Just put, just shoot him with a little bullet. Yeah, who knows? Might enjoy it. Side note, it's not fun. Don't shoot anyone, kids. So, in 1897, the Russian government finally thought, fuck this, fuck these guys. These vegan flower children are far too dangerous. And so they gave them the option to flee the empire. And a lot of them chose Canada. Uh, The conditions of which were that as long as they paid for their own travel and never returned to Russia, they would be left in peace and their families would be allowed to to join them. It all sounds very reasonable. The Russians are very, very reasonable, you know? Yep, you can fuck off and you can pay for your own fare and not come back. How does that sound? I I do say it's very fair. You know, um, hands up. You know, if I were one of those, I'd say, yeah, fair, fair enough, Gov. Fair enough, Governor. I'll take it, yeah, yeah, fair. Fair game. I think, really, I should say thank you. Or thank you very much. Uh, fair play, fair play, I'm off. That's what I'd say. Fair play. Lovely people, the Russians. Leave it to the rest of us Russians who want to fight. <laughs> yeah, so with the help of the Quaker movement, around a third to a half of these guys fled and went to Canada and set up camp mostly around Sask- Saskatchewan. I, I'm never going to be able to pronounce that word. I've never been able to pronounce it. I very rarely have to I say it. I know where it is, though. Saskatchewan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's like Sasquatch, isn't it? Like the, the Yeti. Yes. The indomitable snowman. I think it's the abominable the snowman rather than the indomitable snowman. <laughs> I, thought, I thought I got that wrong. Unfortunately, I couldn't make a joke of it because I didn't know what that meant, indomitable. Or even if it is a word. Indomitable meaning. Let's have a look. <laughs> Impossible to subdue or defeat. Mm. I guess dominate. Oh, that kind of works, doesn't it? So anyway, these guys, they've all run off to Canada. And Canada, it's been pretty kind to them. It's given them some land at very low rent to try and help populate the area. Well, they're very reasonable people, Sam, the Canadians. Very, re- very reasonable, <laughs> the Canadianites. Very reasonable. <laughs> yeah, about a third of the population, about seven or 8,000 people fled to Canada and lived for a few years pretty peacefully. But in 1901 they received a book in the post. And this book was entitled Letters of the Dukabor Leader, Peter V. Verigin. And essentially, it was a collection of essays from their exiled leader, who was still in Russia at the time, designed as kind of moral musings and idealist fantasies. And actually, it was designed to be shown to outsiders from outside the community in order to help them better understand the kind of the the Dukabor dream and the Dukabor way of life. It was not designed as a pamphlet of instructional ways to live your life, very clearly. And it had some pretty out there suggestions. School, for example, was to be banned because it didn't provide a useful education and instilled moral decay and subjugation in children. Any processed food was to be dropped and food was only to be eaten in small enough quantities to avoid starving. Fun, fun, fun till my daddy took the tea bird away. Sounds like a barrel of laughs, doesn't it? Like all good purists and puritans. Yeah, yeah, they're always good fun. (laughs) Labour was to be dropped so that everyone could go out and preach all day long. Uh, Naked, obviously. Jesus, it said in these letters, had only worn clothes because the Romans had forced him to. Same reason he'd eaten bread and drunk wine. (laughs) Because basically peer pressure, Tom. (laughs) Trying to keep up appearances, yeah. And this book really fired up the Dukabor population, who set off on about a 3,000-person march. So about half of their population set off on a great big march across Saskatchewan in late 1902, which eventually the police had to break up forcibly because the protesters were starting to freeze and starve to death. That's exactly what I was going to say. It's not this place we're talking about, Saskatchewan. Yeah, it's really quite quite remote. Not a good place to be naked. No, this was quite late 1902, so it was really starting to get very cold. 
It was a bad place to be underfed and underclothed hippies. Yes, yes. The protest march was forcibly broken up and caused real resentment in the in, in and amongst these people. And eventually, another of the co-authors of the book, uh, a guy called Peter Vasilievich, arrived from Russia and he restored order. He made it clear that this book of letters was not designed as an instructional pamphlet for life. It was musings. It shouldn't have been taken so seriously. You are absolutely fucking mental. Why have you been parading around naked in the middle of the Canadian winter you're all going to die. So people kind of thought, okay, maybe we've been a bit silly and the community settled down, apart from about 200 of them who decided that this was bullshit. How could our supposed glorious leader write this amazing thesis on how we should all be naked and eat carrots and then come out here to tell us to put our clothes back on and send our kids to bloody school? And so what these guys did is they split off into an ultra-Orthodox sect called the Freedomites. Time went by and resentment started to grow in this Freedomite community because they saw the rest of their clan start to lose their old ways. Most were sending their kids to school, at least until the age Wankers. of like 12, 13. I know, turncoats. <laughs> Bloody fair weather fans. Pursuing self-betterment. Wankers. I know. Some, Tom, were even keeping animals and eating meat oh. again. Most of them, Tom. Most of them had fucking pants oh. on. I mean, the audacity of it. The sheer cheek, or lack of sheer cheeks. Baby Jesus is crying. It was an insult, Tom. To make matters worse, against the advice of community leaders and sociologists, in the 1920s the Canadian government began to fine the Freedomites for not sending their children to school. And so resentment really began to bubble up very, very quickly and very, very severely. And in 1921, these Russian pacifist vegan nudists revolted and began a campaign of terror against the Canadian government and the local area. Pacifist terror, obviously, which is the best kind, the only kind. <laughs> what, what did that involve? Well, Tom, it involved the most pacifist of acts of terror, burning down several schools. Oh, well, that's still pretty... That's not very pacifist in my opinion. They're clearly not that hard line. Well, you're wrong, Tom. It's what Jesus would have done. Yeah, he probably would have done, and naked. Well, yes, they were. <laughs> <laughs> So they launched a series of naked arson attacks, burning down 11 schools between 1921 and 1922, although the perpetrators were never actually caught. There's a whole new meaning to the word arson, isn't it? Arson's out. (laughs) Arson's out, flames up. Let's go, boys. (laughs) It's getting hard in here, so take off all your clothes. I am getting so hot, Jesus told me to take my clothes off. (laughs) Beautiful. You reach those high notes so nicely. I mean, I reached for those high notes, Tom. I'm not sure we got particularly close. That was to like them. Mariah Carey, and I know full well that you were doing all these hand gestures, screwing up your eyes as you were doing it. I was. <laughs> yeah. In 1924, in another act of absolute pacifism, they bombed whoa, Peter Vasilievich's railway carriage and killed Jeez. him. Jeez. What with? Explosive mushrooms? What did they use? Only the finest vegan explosives, Tom. <laughs> I'm assuming dynamite, which is mostly made out of peanuts. Is that right? Yeah. Although they're very processed peanuts, because it takes quite a lot of effort to get peanuts into dynamite. So, <laughs> I don't know. They're not still in their holes, then, Sam. <laughs> Just a ba- <laughs> so you can't go and set a light to a bag of peanuts in your local supermarket and expect it to explode. <laughs> no. Although, if you did it nude, apparently it would be an act of religious protest. <laughs> Oh dear. These guys kicked off a really quite severe campaign of naked terror. 
blowing up several trains and setting fire to a lot of public buildings and schools. So in 1927, Peter Verigin, the great leader and the, and the, the main author of this book, arrived in Canada and he gave a speech which everyone was hoping would quell the unrest. But actually what he said was, you guys, you all think the Freedomites are these complete nutter terrorists, but you're wrong. They're actually the purest Christians of them all. Of course they are. You know, all good Christians are naked terrorists. Just out of curiosity, we're talking 1920s here. Did we get this on camera at all? No. Because I think that would be brilliant. A sort of slapstick, black and white, blowing up a train. (laughs) (laughs) Just this uh, black and white text appears on screen. Who is this then? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just with just a penis just poking out the side of a train door <laughs> with a stick of dynamite dangling off the end. What is it? How strange. What a strange imagination you possess, Sam. <laughs> it's all of these people running around with just a carrot held in front of the door. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, there was this speech and the speech made everything ten times worse and the Freedomites were suddenly hailed as heroes among the community. They were no longer strange, outcast extremists. They were the vanguard. They were the, the front runners. They were the people to be emulated. And it really kind of raised their, raised their local profile. But unfortunately, the Great Depression arrived, Tom. The Duckabors were crippled by it. The work that they did in agriculture and forestry dried up very quickly, and they were unable to pay even the very minimal rent on the land they'd been given by the Canadian government, who proceeded to kick them out of the rented land and onto a very small enclosure, forcing the orthodox Freedomites and the more moderate Duckabors to mingle, whereas previously they'd very much kept themselves themselves in their own little villages. Pretty quickly, the moderates kicked out the Freedomites for being absolutely unbearable assholes. Not because there were too many pubes in the communal soup, <laughs> which is always a risk when you're cooking with nudists. It was the Great Depression, Sam. Pube soup was quite popular. <laughs> the only nutrition you're getting today. <laughs> yeah. Line up, boys. Yes, everyone just bringing out their knackers and <laughs> dipping them in. No, it wasn't because of that, Tom. That's not why they were kicked out for being unbearable. They were kicked out for being unbearable because the Freedomites insisted on repeatedly setting fire to their neighbours' houses and property in protest at them having houses and property. I'm I'm not a big Bible reader, Sam, but I know there is a passage that says, love thy neighbour, not burn thy neighbour. And sometimes, Tom, tough love is the only love. And the only way your neighbour will learn about the joys of being homeless and not having any possessions is by having all of that ripped away from them. It's true. There is, it's a good deed, actually, now you explain it that way. Absolutely. It was an act of charity. <laughs> so the now homeless, presumably because they burned their own houses down, Freedomites, started a mass march in protest at being kicked out of the towns they'd just burned down, <laughs> which was pretty quickly broken up by police. In anger, the Freedomites did what they do best, which is strip off, and so the police arrested them. In sympathy, a second batch of protesters set off, headed to the jail where the nudists were being kept, and also stripped off, and were promptly arrested too. It all ended in an absolute mess. The Canadian government took most of the Freedomites' children into care, and arrested over 900 people for public nudity, jailing them for three years each. So really quite severe sentences. It was such a large number of people that were arrested for nudity, they had to give over an entire island to a prison camp to house wow. them all. Meanwhile, the kids were given over to foster parents in more moderate Dukabor communities. But, you know, pretty harsh treatment, have their families ripped away from them and then jailed for three years for, for protesting. And this would basically set the pattern for the next couple of decades. So resentment continued to build and the Dukabors as a whole became political outcasts. Canada was becoming slightly more uh, politically conservative 
and the Dukabors found themselves disenfranchised. They were finding it very hard to vote. They were having increasing taxes put on them, which they either couldn't afford to pay or refused to for religious reasons. And so they did what they do best and held an increasing number of naked protests outside government buildings and occasionally schools, worryingly, and committed an increasing number of arson attacks. Not knowing what to do with all of these protesters and their kids, in the 1950s the government launched an absolutely horrendous operation called Operation Snatch, and this is where it starts to get really quite sad, in which social workers and police seized around 200 Freedomite children, largely of parents who'd been jailed for nudity, and held them in an, air quotes, school, read prison camp, in New Denver in British Columbia. It was absolutely horrible. The school was dreadful and abuse was absolutely rife. It was essentially a prison with barbed wire and the kids weren't allowed to leave. Relatives weren't allowed to visit them very often. The whole thing was an absolute mess and really disgusting behaviour by the Canadian government at the time. Eventually the kids were released, often after their parents were forced to swear in front of a judge that they would send them to school and wouldn't protest naked anymore. And it was really, it was a bit of a dick move all around, which the Canadian government's never really apologised for. In the year 2000, it wrote a letter saying it regretted what had happened, but it stopped short of saying we're sorry for it. But anyway, all of this kicked off a second, even more aggressive campaign of nude terror in the 1950s and 1960s. And there were, there were a lot of bombings. An awful lot of bombings. Railway lines and bridges were destroyed, public buildings were bombed and burned, all by angry naked men. In fact, two nudists were killed planting their bombs in 1958 and 1962. <laughs> so sad, but also what a way to go. kind of funny. I know, right? Have you ever thought, like, oh God, I hope I don't die in an embarrassing and compromising position? <laughs> <laughs> no, but by the sounds of it, you have. You're doing something really <laughs> stupid and you think, that would be embarrassing for my parents and family to find. <laughs> yeah, conservative MPs, that sort of thing. Yeah. So these guys were blown up naked <laughs> by their own bombs. <laughs> But yes, it was an absolute campaign of terror, which only really subsided in the 1970s when the Canadian government reverted to a more multicultural outlook and decided to accept the various religious and cultural minorities in Canada as being truly Canadian, and uh, and they had their rights restored. And there's still about, I think, 30,000 Dukabors in Canada today, so they've, they've survived as a religious sect. Still walking around naked? I don't believe there's many nudists anymore. A bit more moderate. I think that there's more moderates. I think the Freedomites, there's a few Freedomite communities which probably still are naked. But you get those little cults everywhere, don't you? You do. Usually you can tell them by the pampas grass hanging outside their suburban homes. <laughs> oh, sorry, that's swingers, not nudists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're just sat there playing tennis and... <laughs> get the knickknacks out. Knackers swaying in the wind. Nice game of swing ball. Not sure what you should hit. <laughs> All the balls are swinging. And there we have it, Tom. There we have it. We have Canada's nude vegan Russian terrorists who launched a 50-year campaign of terror and are still around today. And that is my strange religious sect of the day and probably the strangest religious sect that I've ever heard of, I think. Yeah, that is, that is fairly <laughs> odd. Did you get into more depth about the, the theology, the philosophy of their opinions? Where does that sort of come from? So their belief was that organised religion could not adequately glorify God. Only nudity could. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, basically, that only by being you, a human, in your purest form, would you really be able to get close to God. So, had to spend all of your time praying and meditating and 
basically live life as humanly as possible with as little outside aid or assistance as you could get by with. So eat the minimum of food that your human body requires to survive, wear the minimum of clothing that your human body requires to survive, sing and pray without musical instruments, because that's outside help, your voice will do just fine, and basically share the little that you need so that you don't have any possessions of your own. And that was basically their theory. They were quite closely connected to the Tolstoyists. Right. And Tolstoy, the, the author and, and Russian philosopher. So Tolstoy was quite deliberately politically subversive and was quite anti the government, whereas these guys just didn't think it was necessary. They just thought, we don't really need a government. We're not anti it. We just don't see the point. Fair enough. There are certainly some crossovers between what you've been discussing and what I'm going to discuss. Yeah. Namely, heretical Christian sects. Good. The best kind. Yes, and the juxtaposition between them and the orthodoxy. Excellent. I have to say... Every Christian to some other Christian somewhere is a heretic. Absolutely. Of course. It's all relative, isn't it? I used to find that funny. You wouldn't be Christian if you didn't hate other Christians. Can you remember at university watching a documentary about Scientology with some Christians? And they were all like, oh, bloody cult. And then you go, mm, do you know what first, second century uh, Romans thought of Christianity, guys? They thought it was a cult as well. We they all did. view the world through our own glasses, don't we? Apart from us, Tom, who were perfect. Well, as we've discussed in previous episodes, haven't we, Sam? We don't know the answers, and we're quite happy to say that. And I think what frustrates me with a lot of people is how fucking self-righteous they are when they think they know all the answers. And they go around yes. saying to other people, oh, no, you're wrong. It's the wrong way of doing it. You should take the top <laughs> off the egg this way, not the bottom. Arguing over petty things and nobody actually has any solid basis for what they're doing. Absolutely. Well, if there's one thing this podcast has taught me, Tom, it's how little that we really know. Mm, that's very profound. Should we end the podcast there? I don't think I need to talk anymore. I meant more about history than religion. Oh, no, we don't. But yeah. <laughs> no, we're just kind of winging it, really, aren't we? Anyway, I, as mentioned earlier, had a fascinating week researching this topic, and this was the topic of the origins of the word bugger. And I knew a little bit about this, but as I delved into it in greater detail, I realised... Tell me, Tom, where did you first discover buggery? <laughs> well, I first discovered buggery when I was at high school. Very similar to your witch impression from last week. <laughs> Dirty old hags. I love the place this podcast takes us. <laughs> but I, but I love the trip bottom. we take every week. <laughs> Somewhere new and unexplored in every episode, isn't <laughs> yes. there? My research as well, Sam. I've, I've ventured down many a captivating theological, philosophical rabbit hole this week. I'm so glad that you ventured down many rabbit holes in your exploration of buggery, Tom. <laughs> Only fair. I've been learning, Sam, about Catharism, Gnosticism, Manichaeism, Neoplatonism, Bogomilism. Have you heard of many of those? Um, one or two. Go through the list again. I'll, t- I'll, I'll tick the ones I know. No, actually, don't bother. Catharism? No. Gnosticism? Yes. Manichaeism? No. Neoplatonism? No. Bogomilism? No. More isms than a schism in a prism of jism, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Which is an ancient Egyptian burial practice they don't teach you about at school. (laughs) Uh, No. Well, that's why they were all wrapped in tissue, wasn't it? Uh, the, the truth is, all of those things that I've just mentioned, all of those isms are actually quite closely connected. Catharism is what I'm going to go on to discuss in more detail, but it is actually, arguably, originates with something called Gnosticism, which I think you know a little bit about. Manichaeism also comes from Gnosticism. Gnosticism itself, I think, comes from Neoplatonism. And Bogomilism, Bogomilism. I think, was the origins of Catharism. So they're all very, very similar. That's my favourite word. Bogomilism, I know. I've just it's decided. hilarious, isn't it? It's like botulism, but that's actually a food poisoning, is it? Bot- botulism. <laughs> yes. 
It's like minimalism in which everything is a toilet. Yes, <laughs> I suppose it is. <laughs> it's like living in a house where all your furniture is toilets. You sit watching yes. TV on the toilet. You sit around the dinner table, which is a giant toilet with the lid down on toilets. I would love to see that episode of Grand Designs with, with so the two I. minimalists with crones. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> Such a sense of space. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bold move. And I think they've created something wonderful. <laughs> Great impression. Excellent impression. Anyway, the word bugger comes from the Latin bulgaris via the old French word into the English language of bougre. I think I've probably pronounced that incorrectly, but we'll go with it. Originally, it meant Bulgarian, bulgaris, Bulgarian, but during the Middle Ages, it evolved to mean sodomite or, you know, someone who partakes in anal sex. So, this is what I'm going to go on to explain, Sam. How did we get from a word that meant Bulgarian to a word that meant pound of the poo shoot, <laughs> bottom bothering buggery buff, fanatical fudge forcing fart bung? <laughs> oh, when you send me your episode notes for this episode, this is just going to be all that's written down, isn't it? <laughs> In big letters with lots of smiley faces around it. <laughs> <laughs> Little hearts and stars. Hey, 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 hey. I made some euphemisms for buggery. Uh, so, I thoroughly enjoyed making those euphemisms. Anyway. Yes, Tom, tell me about the origins of the fantastical fart box filler. <laughs> oh, dear, we're just going for the lowest common denominator, aren't we now, Sam? <laughs> 18 episodes in. Says the guy who's literally chosen anal sex as his topic for the week. <laughs> This is brilliant. You, this is fascinating, Sam. You wait until I get onto it. You wait. <laughs> Baited Phrasing. <breath>. Phrasing. <laughs> you wait. As we all know, in the modern Western world, the majority of us are completely tolerant of homosexuality. We haven't got a problem with it, or sexual experimentation by heterosexuals, for that matter. And it kind of boils down to something pretty simple, doesn't it, Sam? Two consenting adults doing something in private. Who deserves to know what the fuck they're doing? Nobody else's business. Yeah. So long as it doesn't hurt anyone. Love each other. Make a history podcast. Do you. <laughs> be, be you. We could, that could be like a Gap advert. But we know that this hasn't always been the case in Christianity. In the Bible itself, we know there are quite a lot of references to homosexuality. I've actually just picked out a few. Here's Leviticus. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. In Romans, it says in the same way... The men are also abandoned to natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Same in Timothy, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine. Even uh, quite recently, I don't know if you remember this, the ex-Pope Benedict XVI made comments about the 1960s sexual revolution being the cause of modern homosexuality and paedophilia. Yes. Obviously not realising the two are actually quite different. Yes. <laughs> but we won't, we won't delve into the idiocy of that. So I'm going to start my explanation in the early Middle Ages. Uh, many people will know is around the middle of the 5th century. The middle of the 5th century is significant because it's when the Roman Empire falls, collapses, as a result of lots of external pressure from largely Germanic tribes. So in 410, Alaric the Visigoth sacks Rome. In 455, Rome sacked by Genseric the Vandal. 476, Romulus Augustus becomes effectively the last Roman emperor when he's deposed in that year. So it's no surprise that in the years after this, there's a bit of a power vacuum in the Mediterranean and in Europe. And so that's why this period has often been called the Dark Ages, hasn't it? Yeah, early Middle Ages. Massive power vacuum, lots of fighting, movements of peoples, political entities forming, fluidity of ideas. There's a lot going on after the fall of the Roman Empire. So Christianity is developing during this period. Right for the rise of anal sex. <laughs> 
It's the, you, you wait, Sam. This is going to come full circle. It's going to be quite a divergent, but it's going to come full circle. <laughs> I really want to know how you're going to square this circle. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it's fa- I was amazed that I squared it myself. So Christianity is developing at this time as well. And it most certainly isn't the case, as we've alluded to with different sects of Christianity thinking each other are heretics. It wasn't simply the case of Christ dying on the cross and then Christianity, as we know, it was born. I mean, you know, lots of different ways of being a Christian in the modern world. I don't actually think, Sam, a lot of non-Brits realise the British church isn't Catholic. The official church in the UK is actually the Anglican church. We don't really recognise the Pope, and we split from Catholicism in 1534. There you go. We did, so that our king at the time could remarry. (laughs) Yes, yes, selfish (laughs) twetch. Hundreds of years of violence later. In fact, Britain had a fine line in persecuting Catholics. Yes, bloody good show. Good old Anglican church, banning them from voting. (laughs) I'm going to start using a term called the Proto-Orthodox Church here, Sam. So the Proto-Orthodox Church starts to develop in this early Middle Ages period. So what would become Catholicism and then evolve into modern forms of Christianity. But there are other significant movements in Christianity, and one of those is Gnosticism. In a nutshell, Gnosticism, there's a belief that there is a material world and a spirit world. So it's called a dualist philosophy. And um, a lot of the other ones, like Catharism, etc., are dualist as well. So the material world is evil and created by a lesser god called the Demiurge. How good a name is that? Demiurge. Demiurge. And the Demiurge traps in everyone a piece of the spirit world, so a divine spark. And this divine spark can only be liberated through gnosis, hence Gnosticism, which means knowledge. So you can only sort of tap this spark of the spirit world by learning more about uh, what it is to be a good Christian through following and listening to your Gnostic elders. And we basically start to get fights for orthodoxy and the proto-orthodox church uh, begins to challenge other Christian religions by labelling them as heretical. Then there's Arian heresy, which is quite early on in the development of Christianity. Talking about heresy, Gnosticism, the idea of there being two gods, that's pretty heretical. I'm just going to put it out there. (laughs) But in those first thousand years after the death of Christ, the proto-Orthodox Church, so Catholicism basically, didn't really have enough power. It's the political landscape was too fluid for them to really do anything about it and to really challenge. They were too busy just trying to expand. And we get to the year 1000 and the next couple of hundred years, and the papacy really start to try to push orthodoxy on all Christians across the globe. We also get Bogomilism, which we mentioned earlier, which was very similar to Gnosticism and probably evolved out of it. And Bogomilism was founded in the Bulgarian Empire, in the 10th century. Can you see how we're starting to come full circle, Sam? I can. I can see where the Bulgarian yeah. Bogoma come about. Yes. Here we go. Here we go. So as the dust settles on the early Middle Ages, similar countries to the ones we know today start to form. Mass movements of peoples start to slow down. There aren't as many of them. Trade increases. There's a bit more stability. And the sort of day-to-day ethnic diversity settles. And ideas begin to spread more easily. So you get an opening up of trade routes. And so ideas start to spread. So this Bogomilism, belief that originated in Gnosticism, starts to come into southern France. The movement is very, very popular and spreads really rather quickly in that area of Europe. It rejected the Christian Orthodox authorities, instead arguing for a return to earlier spiritual teachings. It thought that uh, the Christian Orthodoxy, the establishment, were corrupted, basically. And I think there was a lot of this going on at the time, that the, the Catholic Church had spread so quickly that they weren't really able to control too closely how all of their representatives behaved so imagine friar tuck you know (laughs) rude alcoholic obese badly behaved priests supposedly being a god's representative on earth to be fair they are the best priests 
Yeah, well, exactly. Exactly. For most of us, they're the most enjoyable ones. They're the ones we would go to heaven and spend some time with. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I like the rest of them. <laughs> so. Also, I, for one, am shocked that bogomilism, the uh, sect of Christianity from which the word buggery came, was very popular in France. <laughs> yeah. yes. What? The French latched onto that one. That is where the French come in. If you want something to be associated with love... You take it to France. Beautiful. You Beautiful have man. this little kind of Christianity here. Ah, we can add our own flavor. What kind of flavor shall we add to them? Ah, no, up the bottom. <laughs> Damn, they didn't go up the bottom. It was a myth. Stop getting carried away. I'm sorry, Tom. I'm sorry. I just wanted to. But I just wanted to do the accent. You I, did, I you just wanted to do a French accent, and which I can I can appreciate. Okay, I tell you what, I will take it all back. There is absolutely nothing about the bottom in this form of Christianity. We will keep that strictly to our French selves. <laughs> you, I think you're going to get an opportunity to do some more French accents shortly, Sam. Go on. <laughs> As the story I'll develops. let you carry on. I'm sorry. I'm very overexcited. No, 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 no. That's all right. That's all right. Uh, so in France, bogomilism strongly influences Catharism, which was a very popular religion in the Languedoc area of France. At this time, the papacy are becoming far more interested in strengthening their positions, hence the, hence the Crusades. And we get the Albigensian Crusade, which I'm sure you've heard about, Sam. Do you know, I haven't, Tom. Have you not? The Albigensian Crusade. It took place around the time of the Fourth Crusade in the Holy Land, I think, Third or Fourth Crusade in the Holy Land. So Catharism was spreading in France in the 12th century. And as discussed, it was ideologically quite different to the orthodox Christianity in the area. They were actually sort of very self-righteous. They were very, very well-behaved. They, they were arguably more well-behaved than the priests of the Catholic Church. They were very pious people. And in 1198, Pope Innocent III becomes Pope, and he decides enough is enough, and he starts trying to deal with the Cathars, because the Holy Land, Jerusalem, has been retaken by the Muslims, and there's a sense that Christendom isn't doing enough um, in the eyes of God, and so they're not getting the favour of God. So between 1209 and 1229, there is a violent crusade against the Cathars in France. The best kind of crusade. Yeah, 20 years on and off, there was this crusade against the Cathars. Really? A very, very violent crusade. And there were, were attempts to convert these people prior and afterwards, but a very, very violent crusade. And difficult to distinguish a Cathar from a Catholic. Yes. <laughs> because a lot of the Catholics sympathised with the Cathars because they were actually nice people who were just a bit more pious and were uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's a bit more. It's nice to know, though, they weren't just interested in the crusades in dicking over Muslims. It's nice to know they were interested no, in dicking over not. everyone, including people who were slightly more religious than them. Yeah, who were doing a better job, yeah, who, <laughs> who were doing, doing just a little better. bit more pious. It's like the school sports day. It's like tripping up the person who's likely to win the race, as well as the person who's slightly disabled. It's pushing over <laughs> everyone in the sack race. <laughs> That's a wonderful analogy. I can't see any flaws in it. <laughs> Here's where we come full circle. So it's at this time in European history that the word bugger, coming from the Latin word for Bulgarian, due to the fact that Catharism evolved from bogomilism in Bulgaria, becomes a derogatory term for anal sex because the Catholic Church began a smear campaign. That's maybe not the best <laughs> use of the word smear. <laughs> smear, cam <laughs> smear campaign to denounce the Cathars in France as heretics and sort of try and pretend that they had questionable sexual practices, whereas in fact, if, if anything, they were more hardline. And that is the origins of the word bugger. Well, I for one time am surprised that the Orthodox Catholic Church 
particularly the Orthodox Catholic Church back in medieval times, would do something so... What's the word? Dickish. Dickish. Would do something so... What's the word? Hypocritical. <laughs> That's the sort of word that Simon Sharma would use, I think. <laughs> would do something... What's the word? So... Unchristian. Yes, it's very strange for the Catholic Church to be dogmatic, isn't it? It is. It is all a bit ridiculous. I mean, I listened to some podcasts that explained uh, Gnosticism and Catharism, but Gnosticism mostly. Philosophically, it's actually very interesting. It's a very interesting attempt by people with the knowledge that they had to try and explain the world. It is actually quite interesting. And um, it has as much legitimacy as... As other Christian viewpoints, yeah, I just love the fact that people who don't really know what's going on are looking at each other, they're looking at someone else who doesn't really know what is going on, they're saying, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm certain about it. <laughs> it I'm like, come on guys, none of you really know. It's a bit like yeah. reading the comments on the internet, isn't it? The comment section oh. of a news article. It's just common sense. Oh, just don't, don't. I just don't read them, Sam. Good for That's you. That's the best thing to do. I can't help myself, it makes me so miserable. <laughs> Social media commentators, they're, they're basically either pretty left or pretty yeah. right, aren't they? You don't get many people in the middle who are commenting. So you just get this massive polarisation in views and a massive game of one-upmanship. Oh, snowflake. Oh. And what are some of the other ones? Cliché insults that people bandy about that are just like, oh, Loony left, fascist, you're a Nazi. Loony left. There we go. Good to know that nothing ever changes and that people are always going to be assholes. And on that, <laughs> and on note, that note... Just to finish off, Tom, can I give an honourable mention? Hit me. I would like to give an honourable mention, and I didn't want to talk about him today because, I, frankly, I don't have that much information on him. I wanted to give an honourable mention to my... I think it's my great-great-great-uncle who founded a religion. Is he listening? <laughs> <laughs> And it's still going today. It's called, I believe, the Church or the Family of the Great Image. And they worship a particular portrait of Madonna. It's an Indian cult slash religion that kind of mixes traditional uh, rural Hindu beliefs and Christianity. And it has about 50,000 followers still in India, which by Indian standards is not very many. I know. I mean, how many religions are there in India? Christ. Literally thousands. Literally thousands. Tens of thousands. But it has a. It's got a, a rural following of about fifty thousand. Kind of folk Hindu pagan Christian. My favourite genre of music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're kind of a jazz funk Christian Judeo Christian pagan collective. There's nothing more fashionable, is there, than you know a trendy Christian, a trendy vicar who plays in the local band. Absolutely. Yeah, the kind of vicar who will pull up a chair, turn it round backwards, sit man-spreading on it and say, hey, <laughs> let's talk about you. <laughs> yes, anyway. I th- honestly thoroughly enjoyed reading this, um, researching this week. Uh, what else did I come across in some of my research? My understanding is that our understanding of Gnosticism has come through the accidental discovery of texts, papyrus texts. You know, it's one of those situations again where it's, it, it was being used as toilet paper somewhere in Cairo. It's one of those... <laughs> And that's how we know about Gnosticism. And actually, if it weren't for that, that those documents, would, it would actually be passing references by Christians. We wouldn't really get a good idea of what Gnostics believed. But in the same vein, we have all of these other Gospels, haven't we? We've got the Gospel of Thomas. We've got the Gospel of Mary. There are all sorts of Gospels that the church in the first few hundred years decided to reject, decided we don't actually want that as part of the Bible. It's just very interesting from a scholarly... Scholarly? Scholarly? How do you say that word? You attempt it, Sam. Scholarly. scholarly. 
good. From a scholarly perspective, especially if you're a Christian, because, you know, what is true Christianity? You know, you've got all these texts that have actually been ignored and churches tried to hide. Absolutely. They keep, they occasionally find, don't they? They occasionally find new lost Gospels. Yep. They found Judas recently, didn't they? Or yes, I think, I think there is the, the Gospel of Judas. Yeah, I think we can have a look in. Let's Google that. Well, whilst you're Googling that, on the subject of Christian sects really not getting on with each other, I was going to talk about the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem which is the scene of constant fistfights and physical fighting between different sects of Christianity and different monks. Have you heard about any of these? Oh, no, but I can imagine. So in 2008, there was a a very violent fight between Armenian and Greek uh, monks and priests in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which is the, the church where Christ was crucified. It belongs to all different Christian churches. So there's representatives of most different Christian churches there. And generally they get on. But occasionally there's massive arguments. And in, this, in 2008 there was a huge fight in which people were battering each other with broomsticks over whose right it was to sweep the floor of a certain part of this church. It's always one, one claims they want to work harder than everyone else. No, we'll clean this bit. This is our bit to clean. We're the holiest. We'll do this. We we'll repair godly. this bit. This is our roof to repair. No, no, no. Put your... Put your wallet away, Mrs. Doyle. Put your purse that's away. Exactly, we'll get that's this. That's exactly what I was going to ah, go on. And it always ends in fistfights. You will, you will, you will. Ah, you will. <laughs> Put your money away, Mrs. Doyle. It's <laughs> a brilliant episode. That's, a, that's, where, that's where Father Jack keeps getting his, his glasses stolen by a crow, isn't it? Yes, this is Father Ted <laughs> for everyone. Arguably the best British sitcom ever. I would be inclined to agree that Father Ted is possibly the best British sitcom ever. If you've never seen it, do go and check it out. It's a wonderful, gentle, occasionally quite rude sitcom about a load of priests stuck on a remote Irish island. Very, very good. Um, actually, we call it a British sitcom. It's not a British sitcom. It's an Irish sitcom. Yeah, I, th- I think it was funded by Channel 4, though. But yeah, you're it right. It was. Yeah. So funny. And sadly, uh, they only did three or four series, didn't they, before one of the lead actors died suddenly. The guy who played Father Ted died. And some excellent Christmas specials. <laughs> and some superb Christmas specials, yes. There we go. That is religion in a nutshell. Turtle power. <laughs> and rap. That's a rap. <laughs> and that's a rap. Well, I hope you have all enjoyed this podcast. We've certainly had a whale of a time. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking for Tom here. We've had a whale of a time researching this week, haven't we, Tom? Oh, I had a wonderful time. Next week, we'll be back with more historical adventures. Have you had any idea of what, what you want to talk about, Tom? Um, what have I got in front of me? Printers. Printers. Post-it notes. <laughs> I've had an idea, Tom. I've had an idea. Tell me if it's stupid. Australia. Uh, let's do Australia. I'm happy to go Australia. There is plenty of mad stuff to come out of Australia. Yes, there is. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe to us on your app of choice. Leave us a review. That makes a huge difference, particularly if you're on ye olde Apple Podcasts or iTunes. And do follow us on social media as well, on, on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you search for That Was Genius, you will find us there. We shitpost history memes occasionally and you get a little teaser of the next episode before it's out. And on that note, it's time to say goodbye, isn't it, Tom? It is, it is. Goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Goodbye, 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 goodbye. You always have to have the last word, don't you? <laughs> Your goodbyes always have to be holier than mine. Yes. Right, yes. that's the end. <laughs> <laughs>